0: Hi, this is Michelle. And this is Deanna. And this is Historable.
1: So, Deanna, before we get into today's episode, let's go over our affairs.
0: Let's get those affairs in order. In order.
1: All right. So, uh, first and foremost, our second Patreon episode went live yesterday. I don't know why I'm in such a singing mood right now. (laughs) Because it was
0: music festival-themed, and so you were just in a singing mode.
1: you (laughs) took the lead
0: on it, and it was so good. I did. So yeah, for our second Patreon bonus episode, uh, I took the reins and the lead, which was super fun. Uh, shout out to Michelle for all the work that she does to prepare these episodes. It is not easy, um, but it was really, really fun. So if you guys want access to that content, just go to our Patreon. Um, it's Historical Podcast. Feel free to join the join the club, if you will. Join the team. And you'll get to hear all about my favorite thing in the history of things, which, spoiler alert, is the disaster that was Fire Festival.
1: I mean, it's not a disaster in my eyes. Because it's like such lovely pop culture content.
0: It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a crazy story. Honestly. If you've heard anything about it, you know there's a lot to it. But yeah, highly recommend checking out that episode.
1: Yeah. So go ahead and do that.
0: Speaking of episodes, Michelle, did what? you know this is our 10th episode? Burr, 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 burr.
1: Oh, oh, Yay. I just like pulled my own headphones so crazy like when you think about it and you look back like I feel like we recorded Caligula like seven years ago
0: it felt like a lifetime ago
1: and so as an avid pod listener myself I just feel like it's so weird to think about like one of my favorite podcasts they I was just like looking at their number count they're at, like 256 right now I'm my like, god I don't even know I'm like 10 episodes ago seems so long ago I wonder what that feels like. Yeah, I don't know. I
0: don't know. One day, one day we'll know the feeling. One day,
1: one day we'll get there for sure.
0: <laughs> and as to kind of celebrate and in honor of our 10th episode, um, if you guys don't already follow us on Instagram, please do that. We're going to be doing a little bit of a. Little giveaway this week. A
1: little giveaway. Yeah. We're so excited. You know, we really appreciate every all of our listeners. We get so much love and support from you all. We're now we've now been listened to in twelve different countries. And we just wanna celebrate you guys and thank you guys for listening, tuning in. Yeah. So
0: check out the Insta this week. Um sometime this week we'll be posting a little bit of a little swag giveaway contest. Yeah. So enjoy. joy. In a joy. I think that's All right. Any more affairs? Are we all in order?
1: We're all in order.
0: All right. Well, Michelle, what are we talking about today?
1: All right. So today we will be talking about the War of 1812. Do you remember learning about this in in American high school or a younger grade?
0: Yes. (laughs) I learned about it. Did I retain it? No.
1: The majority of the countries involved in this war could probably say the same. Interesting. (laughs) It's actually known as the Forgotten War because there was... We'll get into exactly why, but I feel like not a lot of people retain this. I definitely know that I've heard of the War of 1812, but I had absolutely, I knew that it was a war that was obviously fought on American soil, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure, like, who were we fighting and why? And so this episode is more of a, a selfish topic because I really just wanted to research it and find out why.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's me with every war. I'm like, who was in it? Why?
1: What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I'm glad that you felt the same about this one. Something I do want to point out. I think it's crazy that we've been listened to in 12 different countries i think that's amazing Mm -hmm. actually shout out to australia you guys are our second you have our second most listeners behind the u.s so hey australia good day So something that I had seen recently on a TikTok was a man from England, and he had just realized exactly how large the United States was, Mm -hmm. and he was, like, mind-blown or whatever, and so there's all these people responding and commenting, and so I kind of thought it was relevant to bring that up before we get into this episode, because the United States, to drive from New York on the East Coast to, like, Los Angeles on the West Coast, it is an over 40 hour drive.
0: Yeah, it's not an easy drive.
1: I looked it up in comparison, it's like driving from Lisbon, Portugal, which is on the western part of the of Europe mm-hmm. to I think Istanbul. Oh and, wow. Yeah. So that was like a 41 hour drive. I think that's a little bit longer of a drive. But so the United States is massive. Right,
0: and it's so different, right? Like you see so many different like types of climate and weather and terrain as you're like driving across coast right. coast. You to could coast. be in
1: an absolute desert. You could be in a, a mountain. A swamp. You, a swamp. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. But so, the time period we're going to be talking about, the early 1800s, right, this is post-revolutionary war. America just got her freedom from England. And really, it, we only, I don't want to say occupied, but for lack of a better term, occupied, the eastern part of the United States. Mm-hmm. So like probably 40% of what the United States is today. Mm, okay. So even though we're going to be talking about large distances, like it's only a fraction of what the U.S. is, I think that could be helpful in talking about when we're talking about different cities and communication lines and stuff like that. Gotcha. Helpful context. Helpful context. So, all right, let's get into it. All right, so the War of 1812. This was an American war against really england but it's kind of a little bit more complicated than that because at the time canada was a colony of england oh really yes but it was really against the americans and england canada was pulled in because of like i said they were a colony and then also the native americans were pulled in and they actually fought for the british oh a documentary that if you go to our website and you go to the source page it's listed on there it's on PBS. This was a suit. I got a lot of information from this documentary, and I really liked it because they had historians from like all the different countries and all the different parties. So you really got to see like the different sides and different opinions.
0: Like a rounded perspective.
1: Yeah. But at the time, England was fighting Napoleon and the French, and they were like, this war that they were fighting would go on for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. So this was like a huge world war in Europe at the time. So this was consuming most of their time, energy, resources, all that kind of stuff. So especially for them, they were like, oh, wait, what? America's revolting again? (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) Yeah. So in this, right, so America had just gained their independence three decades before, right? So we're talking like early 1800s leading up to 1812. You know, she's kind of getting her foothold. She's, you know, starting to trade with other countries freely as an independent country. And because England and France were at war with each other, England was kind of pissed, being like, how are you getting all these supplies And like, America? Like, you're supplying France? Like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what England did was they actually, like, issued this decree on the English Channel that any ships passing through had to stop in England and, like, pay a a tax, like, pay, like, a fine. Not a fine, but, yeah, like, a tax in order to keep going. And this really made the Americans... Pissed because they were like, hi, we're just trying to remain neutral and you guys, you're war. So, and we're just trying to trade and make money. So, but another thing that the the British Navy would do is actually patrol the Atlantic, looking for friendships, maybe going to America to trade. In one instance, this is kind of like what really set the Americans over the edge is right outside of Virginia, there was a boat called the Chesapeake and a British ship approached them and wanted to board them to search for prisoners or whatever Hmm. and the Chesapeake refused to allow them on board because they actually did have four British deserters on board and they were like we're not going to give them up like so it's fine we're going to hide you but the British opened fire and a few of the American sailors died and then eventually the Chesapeake's like okay it's not worth it they surrendered the British came aboard and stole the four men And this really pissed off the then president, Thomas Jefferson. And so his idea of retaliation was something called the Embargo Act of 1807. And what this did was pretty much say that because France and England couldn't decide on like respecting America's neutrality in the war that no American ships were allowed to trade with foreign ports.
0: oh, interesting. So they were
1: so they were basically like, we're out. We're not going to trade with you. oh, but like really, all this did was like hurt the American economy. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> like they're established
0: they're like starting to establish their foothold. they're doing all these things, and all of a sudden it's like, no, we're gonna not.
1: Now we're just not gonna trade with two of the biggest superpower countries in Europe at the time. Makes a lot of sense. So, Thomas Jefferson, his presidential term ended in like 1808, and then James Madison became president next. But before, in his like last days of office, him and Congress actually repealed the Embargo Act. And then they were just like, Mm -hmm. We're going to replace it with the non-intercourse act, (laughs) which is not at all what you think it is. What's a non-intercourse act? Get the out your mind. Sorry. Um, This specifically called out France and England. So instead of saying, we're not trading with any foreign ports, which is what the embargo had done, it says, we're just not trading with either of you two, which is like, okay, a little bit better. Now you can, you know, you have free trade with Spain and all these other countries, but Mm -hmm. just not them. And this also didn't work out (laughs) because they were still missing out. Like, I don't understand how either of these like could have been great solutions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It seems a little reactive.
1: Absolutely, and this really did nothing because France and England were like, "Fine, we'll just find someone else to buy from. They're probably closer too. <laughs> like, we don't care we don't care. <laughs> this kind of created a lot of disagreements in the American Congress because some saw what the British did to like the Chesapeake as an act of war because mm. the, the British did attack the ship essentially right and there was a a chunk of congress that was saying we need to go to war we need to declare war this is not okay
0: yeah i think that's a reasonable reaction sure and then others are
1: being like we just had war true (laughs) (laughs) like we're just figuring our stuff out like we're not We don't even have, like, anything organized. Like, we're still trying to figure it out. Maybe now's not not the best time. Absolutely. Then things started to heat up in the Midwest, and this kind of changed everyone's minds. Oh. If you're not from the U.S., if you look at, like, near Chicago, there's what's called the Great Lakes. It's a series of five lakes. They're massive. And something i guess i didn't realize again me and deanna are from chicago and so i grew up going to lake michigan seeing it whatever and i guess i never thought of it as like yeah battles were fought on these waters did you ever uh what like like naval battles were fought on the great lakes no way yeah <laughs> i I mean, they're huge. They're huge. I mean, you wouldn't know that they were lakes if you didn't know they were lakes. So... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't see across it at all. It's just open water for miles and miles. They're massive. So something I would recommend, pull up a map of the eastern United States. It's going to be really helpful for this.
0: Yeah. Look for look for the the hand, the mitten.
1: The mitten. That'll
0: point you in the right
1: direction of the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. So in this area, like just south of Lake Michigan, was uh, the governor of the Indiana Territory, which was his name was William Henry Harrison. And he had been slowly and steadily acquiring lands from the natives in this area for like decades because the U.S. was really committed to expanding westward. And so from what I saw and also what the documentary had kind of explained lightly was that he would just kind of like make these deals with the the native tribes in the area for land. Um, but in particular, he ran into an issue with a Shawnee war chief who refused him. He's like, I'm not giving up my people's ancestral lands
0: well, yeah. to you,
1: white man. <laughs> like, no, thank you. So anyway, Tecumseh is remembered as like a very fierce warrior. And he is, or oftentimes, I guess you could say like, remembered for championing a failed attempt at unification for the tribes across the entire Midwest. So growing up during the Revolutionary War, he had seen George Washington do this. George Washington rallied all the colonies together, and as a unified front, they defeated the British for independence. And so he thought, okay, If the tribes can do this, if we can finally, like, stand together as one, maybe we have a chance to finally, like, put a stop to, you know, America's expansion westward.
0: Right. That totally makes sense. Yeah.
1: And uh, if you guys have listened to our Hawaii episode, too, like, um, the chief, the war chief there did the same exact thing. Like, it's just history repeats itself. Let's learn from history. (laughs) Standing together is always going to be the most effective tactic. So Tecumseh and Harrison actually respected each other as warriors. They had met a few times, they had had some conversations, but really Harrison saw no place for the natives in the future of the United States. What a jerk. He was like, "Cool, I respect you as like as a man, but I don't actually respect you in any other way." So Tecumseh went on a journey to like some of the southern tribes to try and recruit them for this unified state vision that he had right while he was away harrison was like okay i'm finally gonna make my move i know tecumseh's away trying to like unify the tribes i am going to take this opportunity to attack Prophetstown, town and this is a pretty big native village in the area so harrison shows up and he talks to the tribe members and was like hey like let's have a little meeting the next day and let's kind of like talk about this but like i want your town i'm gonna take it <laughs> so if, like, it's
0: so it's not really a discussion but it's kind of
1: a discussion Kind of a discussion they i mean he didn't, co- he didn't come in like guns a-blazing he's like let's discuss this first yeah and the natives were like absolutely not we're not gonna stand for this like you guys have literally stolen all of our land so We're going to put up a fight. And what they did is in the middle of the night, it was like, I think I saw maybe four o'clock in the morning they led a sneak attack on the Americans. This would be known as the Battle of Tippecanoe. I know
0: that name. Yes.
1: And it started off strong. The natives were able to make a huge impact on the American troops Mm -hmm. because they were left off guard. And, you know, so they're waking up to bloodshed and screams and all this stuff happening in the middle of the night. Eventually, the Americans kind of gathered their forces and were able to push the natives away. This was not before they lost a tremendous amount of troops like got it, it So was the natives made like an impact a huge impact yeah gotcha. in retribution the next day the americans showed up at Prophetstown and decimated the city oh shoot it had already been abandoned proactively because they knew like we were going to face retribution from the sneak attack right so but still the americans were like we're still just gonna burn this to the ground so Harrison would go and write to back to Washington, D.C. and be like, it was such an easy win. We've taken profits down and blah, blah, blah. Shut up, Harrison. It's like, okay, yeah, this is like, again history is such a game of telephone right and is really like told um, i guess you could say from the perspective of the winners that's what i thought was really interesting about this war because like really at the end of it you'll see was there a clear winner and if so it was really multiple size mm, <laughs> like, interesting that's why this war is just kind of like what but harrison went like i said go on take prophet's town then tecumseh was like cool what are we going to do now so they went to go seek help from their northern neighbors in Canada. So on June 1st, 1812, James Madison's Congress issued a declaration of war against England. Oh. This was kind of hard. Like, what really set this off? I think the answer is just really multidimensional, I guess, because it was the political reasons, right? Like, the British uh, Navy attacking the Chesapeake. And then now, like, there was all these issues, too, happening in in the West and the natives were kind of banning together with Canada and therefore England. And so there was just a lot happening and they were like, all right, we're just going to do it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think too. There's there's talks about this like subgroup of people from the south, particularly and from the west, and they were congressmen and they were referred to as the warhawks, and they pretty much were like all for western expansion and all this stuff. And so when they saw like what happened in Indiana, they were like, okay, no, we really need to go to war now because we need to keep expanding west and getting more land and becoming richer. Gotcha. Yeah. So this congressional vote was actually one of the closest formal. And like a all of like US history, which I thought was really interesting. It was kind of a difficult sell for a lot of the American congressmen because England like had a very powerful Navy. Right? <laughs> and so they were like, this is a hard fight. They kind of said, we've done it before, we can do it again. So let's go for it. Um, And in England, this declaration of war was probably just an annoyance, right? Like, (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Their little sister acting up again, like being a little brat. And at the same time, they were fighting Napoleon. King George III was like going crazy in his elder years. So then his son had to become like regent in his place. And now one of their colonies, Canada, was at risk. How does... I always... So I'm just thinking, like, how does one declare war back then? Do you just, like, send
0: a post? Like, how do you be like, we're going to war? And then what? You send, like, a boat that takes, like, a month to get over there with, like, a letter? Like, oh, how do you
1: declare war? That's exactly what you do. And we'll see it a couple times as the story progresses. But the time that it takes to pass on information is so crucial to some of the things that happen in this war.
0: Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: it just seems like it's not
0: super efficient. and. And who gets to carry it? Is there a special like, like war Messenger declaration Boy. carrier? Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. I can go on a tangent here, but yeah. So
1: then what happened? So pretty much, yeah, they like send this boat off on a journey for a month to go tell England, hey, we're at war as they started kind of formulating their plan. Mm-hmm. And their idea was really, okay, we're gonna go for Canada. Like you're she's a colony of England, like That's where we're going to go. And it's also going to be like a twofer because then we'd be fulfilling our goal of expansion. Right. But we're just going to go north. And President Madison thought that this would be easy. He was like, oh, Canadians, they probably feel just as oppressed as we did when we were a colony of England. And they're going to be all Team USA. So we're going to show up and the Canadians are going to be like, yes, take us under your ring. Like, let's be Team USA. And this was absolutely not the case. <laughs> the Canadians were like, we want nothing to do with you. Stay out of our land. This is not your country. Bye. Go away. Yeah. This brings us to our first clash against English troops and American troops. And so this is where I'm like, Canada, again, was a colony of England. So like, I might say Canadian, I might say British, I might say whatever, but really they're fighting on the same side. They're one in the same. Yeah. So this happened on the northern end of the Great Lakes in particular on Mackinac Island. Oh, I love Mackinac. Yeah. Island. So for it's so those cute. yeah, so this is in, in the northern part of Lake Michigan, one of the five Great Lakes. And for those that don't know, this island, so I'll talk about it today cuz it's actually pretty cool. It has no cars on the island. Mhm. The way that most people travel is by bicycle or by like horse-drawn carriage, stuff like that. It's a huge tourist destination and it's so cute. And I've never been, but I'm really jealous because I really want to go. And I feel like TikTok has made me want to go more because there's like two girls on the island (laughs) that document their day-to-day lives there. And I'm like, this is so fun.
0: It's super cute. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. We definitely went there. Really good fudge, too, if you're a fan of fudge. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend Mackinac Island fudge. It's a thing. All right. Very cute.
1: Yeah. This island was where it all started as far oh. as the War of 1812. Interesting. I guess you could say it all started. So the Americans actually had a fort on Mackinac Island, and all of a sudden, one day, the British rolled up. They were like, um, what are you doing here? And the British were like, we're at war. Like, you declared war on us, so we're here to, like, attack you. <laughs> and the U.S. <laughs> is like, we didn't know that. Because... Yes, like we said, the U.S. had dispatched a notice of war and went to to go, like, send letters to all, like, their servicemen, and it had not arrived yet to Mackinac Island. So they are getting attacked, and they had no idea they were even at war. So the American troops were like, we're just going to surrender. We're not prepared for this. We're not staffed properly all this also stuff.
0: thanks our own country for not giving us a heads up on
1: this yeah and so they gave over the island without a fight and then this gave the british a pretty good advantage in the great lakes because the like, transportation slow communication slow but having a good vantage point in the great lakes was huge because it was a great way to you know transport supplies and all that kind of stuff So now Madison is kind of like, all right, we really have to kind of take an offense and it's time to invade Canada. And so there was various different battles where the U.S. did this. There was like three main attempts to penetrate Canada. But the one we're going to talk about mainly is when in July of 1812, they invaded Detroit. And this kind of goes on to be known as the siege of Detroit, but also the surrender of Detroit. Oh, so, the Canadians were led by a man named Isaac Brock. Okay. And he was in charge of, like, defending that area and fighting the Americans outside of Detroit. Got it. So, he was Canadian? Yes. Gotcha. And he he and his men were outnumbered, right? He had the small amount of Canadians with him. I think he had something like 1,200 British regulars with him. Most of the British were off in France fighting Napoleon. They were busy. They were busy, yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. So... This is when Tecumseh shows up and he's like, hey, Brock, we want to be Team Canada. Me and the natives, like, we need to push the Americans away. They're pushing us off our land. They're stealing our land. Like, let's team up together. Mm -hmm. And so then they became bros. And Tecumseh's men actually got dressed up in British uniforms to kind of... I don't know, psych out the Americans that were in Detroit. For sure. But in particular, the leader of the Americans in Detroit was a man named William Hall. And he was like terrified of natives. I don't know, like... The natives were really painted as savages back in the day. And so this, like, I guess you could say myth really ran rampant. And so he was, like, terrified of them, thinking that they were just like, I don't even want to say. But you know what I mean. Right. So he's scared. Yeah. And so a tactic that Brock and Tecumseh's men actually did is they had the same men keep passing the fort And then, like, would turn back around and then come back. So it looked like they had thousands of men. But really, it was just, like, the same guys walking past. In circles? I think, yeah. (laughs) I don't really know what the layout was. But they were, like, passing by the fort, maybe, like, in an open field. And then would go into the woods. And then would run back to the end of the line. So it just looked like a continuous line of thousands of men. (laughs) Sneaky, sneaky. I had that. was kind of funny. But uh, so Brock and Tecumseh stormed the area. And they were like, we demand your surrender. And William Hall like I said, was like in charge of the American defenses and he was like, no, but give us a three day ceasefire. Okay. Like, let's figure this out. I need some time. And Brock was like, I'll give you three hours. (laughs) Hull was like, all right, fine. We're not going to get out of this. Like I'm going to wave the white flag. And so they did. And this was how he surrendered Detroit. A lot of History goes on to describe William Hall as, like, a complete coward. Hmm. I guess while they were being sieged upon, I guess you could say, he was, like, cowering in a corner, like, completely just catatonic. He was frozen with fear, which... Why was he in charge then? uh, Yeah, like, and it's, like, (laughs) a human to human. I get it. Like, if you're inside of a a fort and you're just getting bombarded with cannon fire, that's gonna be absolutely terrifying. For sure. But, yeah, so he was in charge. And his men were not happy about it. They yeah. were like, you just gave up and you are a coward. This is unacceptable. So they were, like, writing letters to government and they were, you know, trying to get some sort of repercussions passed on him. And they wanted him shot. Oh, my gosh. Madison gave him some reprieve and ended up letting him live. But um, but really, he lived the rest of his days, like, as a disgraced, like, serviceman. So... You know, after this, the Americans were kind of scared, like, oh, no, the natives and the British have kind of teamed up together. And now we're kind of getting attacked from the north, from the west. And, you know, we always have our seas to worry about to the east because England can bring her ships at any time.
0: But also, like, America, you started it, bro.
1: Honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So Brock and Tecumseh were so proud of each other, like, after the, the war. Like, there was a lot of really cute things that were said about them. But they had a lot of respect for each other as like mutual warriors. And so after this, Tecumseh or Brock gave Tecumseh his like red military sash. And so then Tecumseh gave Brock his like beaded sash, like they were like military garb or whatever, as kind of like a show of camaraderie and... I thought that was really cute. But this was a huge win for them because they got 30 cannons, a bunch of food and supplies because the Americans were just forced to leave it all. And Mm -hmm. so this was like a very big win for the British. And the next spot that was really in danger was, like, right outside of Niagara Falls in Mm -hmm. upstate New York. Brock and his men would then go there to help in the defenses, and this is where he would die in battle. Oh. Yeah. So in 1813, the next year, the Americans kind of took a turn and decided, okay, now we're going to go for York in Canada. And this is present-day Toronto. Uh, This was upper canada's capital but it was kind of left undefended right so they had some like capital buildings there but really like no one was there because it didn't seem like it was going to be like a destination to try and take over yeah because it really didn't have any advantages it wouldn't
0: be like a strategic like foothold of like yes we're here like this is a great spot to defend it's it's just kind of there
1: yeah it was kind of there but one of the big things that was there was the british were building a warship there and so mm. they thought okay if we can get here like She's got enough ships as it is. That's going to be hard, so let's try and cut off their supply chain. A fight ensued, and the British quickly saw that they were outnumbered and wouldn't be able to hold the city. So they surrendered and retreated, and the Americans stormed into York. They lit all the buildings on fire and just burned the city down. And this was huge, right? This was the capital, and this would not go without revenge because the Canadian slash British would get their revenge on burning down buildings later on. So the British Navy finally shows up in the Atlantic. They start making their way up the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. They would kind of jump off with, you know, on smaller boats, arrive on land they would raid plantations and they would steal livestock and valuable silver whatever they can get their hands on but they would also steal slaves from the plantations Mm. and in return they would say hey we free you but like will you help us fight and a lot of the slaves were like absolutely (laughs) oh for sure (laughs) so the brits just kind of moved up the chesapeake bay like getting all this these supplies extra men all this stuff And eventually they make landfall. They are only about a day away from Washington DC at this point. And they were like, "We're gonna get our revenge."
0: Dun 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 dun. dun.
1: So Washington D.C. back then was definitely not at all what it is today. It was described as a swamp Ew. and just dirty and gross, and like nothing was there except for we did have a couple buildings already built, you know. And much like the Canadians, they kind of left Washington D.C. open because mm-hmm. they were like, "This, there's no point to go after D.C." Right. There's it's just no there. strategic foothold that you're going to have here or anything like that. Like I said, it was about a day's ride from where they docked their boat. But they were like, no, we're going after it. So in the capital... James Madison was actually away a couple hours before the British arrived. Dolly Madison, his wife, the first lady, was like she got word that the British were approaching and so she was like, "Okay, we have to flee." And so she, you know, gathered a lot of the valuables in the house and stuff like that. But something that was like notable, I guess, that she grabbed was actually a portrait of George Washington, the mm-hmm. United States' first president. This is kind of amazing because we still have this portrait today, mm-hmm. and she was so intent on bringing this with her, that it was like installed with this like frame that was nailed and screwed to the wall and they couldn't get it off the wall. So they actually cut it out of the frame and took it with them. And this was like really great foresight considering what would then go on to happen. And it's kind of cool that we still have this today. Yeah. And kind of sad to think about like, what else did we lose that we didn't even know was at home? Because spoiler alert, it gets burned down. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So... The British arrive. Like I said, they burned down the building. They burned down a bunch of buildings. They're marching down what is now Pennsylvania Avenue. And they got to what was the previous White House, not the current White House and apparently Dolly Madison had been expecting I think it was like her husband or like a small troop of men coming back and so she was like hosting a a state dinner that night or something like a party yeah and so she had like their dining room like set up for a a table of 40 and they had all this food and drink and everything like all ready for this dinner that she was going to host and so the British arrive and they're like sweet (laughs) (laughs) and so they go they eat the food they drink they found like Madison's hat and they like stole it and, like oh my gosh all the stuff and then they burned it down after they had their fun so
0: i so mean they're just like wasted dil- like bellies full like just burning down the house
1: if it were <laughs> me i'd be like i'm not just gonna burn down this like these perfectly good this perfectly good meal
0: oh for sure i would eat it i would and eat drink it all- i all just day. sounds like quite the party
1: yeah <laughs> so really at this point The Americans weren't doing so well. They had attempted to, you know, invade Canada and kept getting pushed back. Now they had their capital burned to the ground. And they were kind of like, all right, we don't really know. This isn't really looking to be in our favor here. Can't we all just stop burning stuff down? Yeah, honestly. All right, guys, we're getting to the end here, I promise. So many battles. (laughs) There's so many battles. (laughs) So... This one I won't really go into much detail about, but there was a battle at Plattsburgh, and this was really essential to, I guess you could say, the American morale, because it was one... It was kind of like the first time in a long time that they actually felt a little bit of success. Okay. It was actually a naval battle, like this captain had like done something with the way that he anchored the ship so that once like the front side was like completely destroyed by cannon fire he was able to just turn it around and face the butt of the bow <laughs> towards the british hmm. and then keep firing cannons at them and they were the last ship floating i guess you could say
0: oh interesting yeah
1: so the americans kind of won that and morale was a little bit up at that point It was perked yeah understandable like yay we finally did something we finally did something but two days later those <laughs> navy men of the british royal navy british royal navy i think that's what it that sounds right they arrived in baltimore and Baltimore was so important at this time because it was a massive port city mm-hmm. and it had a very large, like, international population. It was really like a hub for most things. Yeah. Here is where they built a lot of ships, a lot of US ships. So there was a huge shipyard, and this was the city to go after, right? For sure. And they could do a lot of damage. Uh, the city did have a fort named Fort McHenry, and the Brits decided to attack here first. The fort just got rained on with cannon fire. And some say, like in the documentary that I was watching, a man had said, like a historian had mentioned that you could hear the cannon fire from 100 miles away in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Which like, I question, like, how did they know this? Again, <laughs> <so> like, <laughs> did they send someone? Like, but anyway, that's what he had said. I thought that was interesting. A man named Francis Scott Key was on a boat, I think like eight miles away, watching the attack happen. Didn't he write a song? Did I jump ahead? You just jumped ahead. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I know that name. I was like, I actually know Francis Scott Key wrote a song. He did write a song. So he anxiously watched the attack all night long and admittedly was hoping that the cannon fire wouldn't stop because if it stopped, that would mean that Fort McHenry had fallen. Oh, right. And so hours later at dawn's early light, he noticed something. Broad stripes and bright stars. He saw the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in air. Oh, man. And this gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. How
0: embarrassing.
1: So did he write our anthem? <laughs> he wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Shoot. So for Americans there, that I just tried to incorporate some lines of the Star Spangled Banner in there. It's based on, actually, the tune it's based on is a British pub song.
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so he just kind of wrote these lyrics to go over the same tune. But so pretty much he was on this ship, right? And he had seen the fort in the distance and overhead he saw... A large American flag flying over where, And he
0: just got like inspo and
1: was it like, I'm going to write this yeah, And so in in the morning, in the dawn's early light, <laughs> he saw that the flag was still there. And he was like so, it was just like such a symbol to him of his country's... Finally winning something. Yeah. or not winning. Right. And, and strength for still being there, right? And so he ended up writing the Star Spangled Banner. And this wouldn't go on to become America's anthem for... I think it was like 116 years, but this was the battle that inspired the song. So, anyway, this you know, stand that they made at Fort McHenry paired with what had happened with the Navy battle kind of really was a turning point for the war because, like, Americans had this, like, new, yeah, we can do this. And so shortly after, peace negotiations actually began in Belgium between all the parties. And because these two wins had just happened, the victor was kind of more cloudy than ever. I think leading up to those two battles, it was kind of, like England was like, we've got this in the bag, like Mm -hmm. no problem. And then the Americans won these two battles and they were like, oh, actually, we don't know. And so it was a very arduous peace negotiation process because both sides felt like they had the potential to win.
0: And like who really wins in war at the end of the
1: day? Oh, exactly. <laughs> and so what the British were really fighting for was, you know, they had gotten this help from the natives and they were saying like, hey, let's call a peace treaty. But like you need to give this whole chunk of land in the Midwest to the natives. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have their own independent state aside from you. And then we'll be at peace, you know? And the U.S. was like, no, not at all. Never. Like, we're not going to do this. Like, this is our land. We want to keep getting more land. And the peace treaties or the peace negotiations just kept going. It sounds like they didn't go that, that well. They did not go that well. They ended up coming to a re- resolution. But before they could... We have our last battle of the war. And this would be fought in New Orleans, which is in the state of Louisiana. So a little fun fact, the U.S. bought this huge chunk of land from Napoleon. called the Louisiana Purchase including what is now present the present state of Louisiana and this was a massive chunk of land that he sold to the US in order to kind of fund his war with England so it's kind of funny that, that like now we're like coming back to this like french rooted city mm-hmm. of New Orleans but so that was that sale was made in like 1803 so this was like a decade before where we are now gotcha yeah this city was like an integral city, just like Baltimore, because it was near the mouth of the Mississippi River. It's there was so much access. And for those that don't know, the Mississippi River goes pretty much north and south. I think like the whole span of the United States. It's pretty big. Like yeah, it I think goes it... all the way up to Minnesota, which is on the northern border. Yeah. So. The Mississippi River is huge and so instrumental for transportation of goods at this time, right? Because it's going to give you access to pretty much anywhere in the Midwest, right? The British troops start making their way to New Orleans. And
0: this is while we're doing, like,
1: peace treaty talks? This is while they're doing peace treaty talks, right? So Andrew Jackson arrives to help defend the city for the Americans, and he would go on to become a president himself. He was kind of known as a ruthless man— I could go into him further, but I'll just give you a little bit of highlights. He was a messenger boy. He was responsible for those really slow messages (laughs) during the Revolutionary War. And he lost all of his family during the Revolutionary. I think he had said like two brothers and his mother. He was captured by British troops during this war. And by his own account, he was treated very badly. I saw like a, a line about a British officer wanted him to like clean his boots and he didn't. So he got beaten for it. Either way, this whole scenario created like a deep-seated hatred towards the British in Andrew Jackson's mind. So he now he's here to be like, I'm gonna help defeat the British from right. New Orleans. Here's my revenge. Here is my revenge. The local government of Louisiana was considering surrendering to the British. When they arrived, they were like, I don't know, we're not prepared, like maybe the smartest thing for everyone is to just surrender. And Andrew Jackson was like, absolutely not, zero times. And so he ended up partnering with a bunch of different people, but mainly like the local pirates, <laughs> to be like, you're going to help us defend the city. And they're like, all right, just give us whatever, gold, I guess, like a new eye patch, who knows? Andrew Jackson actually imprisoned some of the government officials that were wanting to surrender. He's like, nope, and if you want to surrender, like, you're getting thrown in jail. Like, we're not, we're gonna fight them back. Coming in hot. Yeah. He really took on whoever he could. So he took on black men, which was interesting because he was a slave owner himself. Mm -hmm. And he took on anyone that he could find to be like, we need men. I mean, like I said, New Orleans was previously owned by the French. I think... And I could be wrong here, but I think at some time, too, they were owned by Spain or occupied by Spain. Either way, it's a very diverse area, but definitely has the most French roots. Yep. But so when they gave orders to the army, they had to be given in English, French, Spanish, and Choctaw. Oh, wow. While they were an outnumbered and untrained group of men, they still had the advantage because they were on the home turf. Right. They were able to set up defenses to kind of, like, avoid fighting the heavily trained British army in, like, melee combat. Right. And so when the British arrived, they're storming through this field, and the Americans were able to kind of pick them off one by one. During this battle, the British general that was leading the charge actually got killed. And so this battle kept going. It only lasted 25 minutes, But this battle kept going. No one retreated or stopped or anything because no one knew who was in charge. Sadly, over 2,000 British soldiers lost their lives in 25 minutes and only 70 Americans. Oh, my gosh. So it was like a slaughter. And it's made even more devastating because the news finally made the way over from Belgium that a peace treaty had been signed two weeks before the battle had occurred. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And this shoot. treaty was called the Peace Treaty of Ghent. The battle ended up being unnecessary after the fact because they had already been at peace. They just didn't know it yet. Oh. And that to me like really hurt me because it's hearing that the battle only lasted 25 minutes and so many British soldiers lost their lives and they were just getting picked off. I don't know. War is a hard one for me to swallow. We don't have to get into that. But that just made me really sad because it was like, and it wasn't even necessary. Well, that's so
0: insane. I mean, that many people in that short of a span of time, that's like, yeah. I don't even know. Like, what, 100
1: people a minute or something ridiculous? Like, I know. that's insane. Back then, guns were terrible, incredibly inaccurate. Were they so, muskets? They were muskets, yeah. <laughs> so it's like they, that's Ugh. why I said they had the advantage because they had to wait for them to be super close to them. Ugh, but gross. they were like behind the protection of barricades and stuff like that. So, anyway, all super sad and made even sadder by the point that they were already done with the war and just didn't know it yet. Mm. So really, in a nutshell, that was the War of 1812. Wow. And this is why it's an interesting one to history in the sense that it's forgotten because the British might think of the year 1812 and remember their war with France. Mm -hmm. And they might not remember that they sent a small little amount of men over to the U.S. to fight battles. The Canadians remember it well because – so here's where it's, like, you start talking about who was the real winner of this war. Because the Canadians were like, we fought off the Americans three times and they never got into our – well, except for York, right? But, like, they were very successful in their endeavors in keeping the Americans out. So at the end of the day, like, everyone kept their same land. Yeah. The Native Americans kind of got screwed because they fought for – the canadians and the british but got nothing out of it in return who was the real winner so everyone kind
0: of you win some you lose some we all didn't really make much progress <laughs> with this yeah. whole situation right no,
1: no border lines were changed literally nothing and then we just signed a peace treaty two years later hmm interesting and that's why like i said in the, the top of the episode I really liked the documentary because you got to see the Canadian perspective, the British perspective, the Native American and the American perspective. And I thought it was it was really cool because the Canadians are like, yeah, we see ourselves as the winners of 1812 because we didn't get invaded. Right. And Americans, again, think we protected our democracy, you know, and really the only losers were the natives. That's war, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Oh, that one's, that's kind of a bummer. I know. I think in in learning from this. And so I've been kind of telling this to Deanna while we've been recording this episode is that there were so many battles and so much stuff that happened. And I tried to just kind of go over the things that I felt were the most important to the main story. That's what we try and do here. We try and make it As condensed as possible. (laughs) This one, though, had a lot more than I thought. Yeah. Like, there was a lot. Like, I thought, you know what? Let's cover the War of 1812. Like I said, selfish reasons. I want to know more about it. And I feel like everyone else should, too. And I feel like there was a lot more here than I had bargained for.
0: Oh, yeah. Sounds like it.
1: Man, this one was a hard one to swallow. For sure. That last battle got me, though, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. That's probably the saddest of all of them. Mm Mm-hmm from what we've covered today. And I'm sure there's, you know, so many different stories and so many different things that, like you said, we didn't even touch
1: upon or cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Crazy, crazy. Hmm. But yeah, so that was the War of 1812. Now, you know, maybe some of those words triggered some of your memory for those that learned about this in school.
0: (laughs) Yep. Now Now that you've kind of walked me through this, I'm like, I
1: vaguely remember a decent chunk of this. I mean, it didn't even get a war or name like a a name like revolutionary or civil or just it just had the year the war of 1812 did
0: it was it all contained within 1812
1: it it ended in like 1814 oh so it was the yeah no war of 1812 to 1814 no it was a war of two years again like just kind of like forgotten like oh yeah this like war happened but no one cares they're just but i'll
0: tell you who cares the native americans well yeah i think it's a well That's a whole nother...
1: That's a whole nother thing.
0: Conversation. But interesting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to high level us on the War of 1812. It was a lot of high level.
1: (laughs) Like a lot, but... Lots and lots. Lots and lots. But I thank you guys for listening. I know, like I said, that was a lot of information, but it's an interesting little war there.
0: Interesting little war for sure. Thanks again. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, as a reminder, we'll be doing a little bit of a little Instagram giveaway this week. So yeah. check out our Instagram, uh, Historical Podcast. Obviously, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we need to work on some of our TikTok content, TBD, but that's still there. Um, and feel free to check us out on all the socials, share with your friends, and if you want to email us or check us out, if you have any ideas or suggestions or questions, email us at historicalpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. As always, thank you guys. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: Let's go to Mackinac Island.
0: I'm down. I haven't been there in years.
1: I just want to take the ferry to get there and ride bicycles. It does kind of smell like horse poop, though. I mean, that's fine. It's like aggressive. okay all right
0: i'm I'm hungry i want some food okay let's go eat okay bye bye